We are in the second week of a short sermon series that we are doing on the chapter, uh, on the 16th chapter of Genesis. We're going to be spending three weeks just looking at this one chapter. Uh, I'm going to invite Serena to read the passage. The mic is right here. Uh, Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 to 6. Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 to 6. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So, after Abraham had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do as her as you please. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Would you join with me as we pray? Father, we come before you and worship. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and uh, apply your word to our hearts, that we might see and turn to him, and that we might worship Jesus. And in worshiping him, may we be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are in the second week of this short sermon series on Genesis chapter 16, titled, Three Sinners. Obviously, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar are the three sinners here. And uh, this, this chapter and this sermon series is not just about their sins, but it is more so about the incredible power of God's grace in transforming sinners. It is God's grace, as we're going to see, that transformed these three sinners, and it is God's grace that is transforming every one of us, even today. Last week, we, were look, we looked at Hagar. We saw that Hagar was both a sinner and a sufferer. We saw how God's grace both comforted her in her suffering and also transformed her in her sinfulness. And this week, we're going to see how God's grace meets with Abraham in his sinfulness. I'd like to draw two things out for us from this passage. Abraham's real sin and God's real faithfulness. Abraham's real sin and God's real faithfulness. Let's start with Abraham's real sin. Abraham lived about 3,800 years ago. And it's quite natural for all of us living in Mumbai in this time and age, uh, it's quite natural for us to wonder if this ancient account of polygamy 
is, is even relevant to us. I mean, is polygamy even an issue uh, in this day and age? Which wife would ask her husband to sleep with a servant so she can have a child? So on the face of it, this, this passage might seem uh, irrelevant to us. But I'm hoping to help us see that Abraham's story is incredibly similar to ours. First, God called Abraham to live in the land of Canaan, among a people who did not believe in the one true God. The beliefs and the customs and the lifestyles and the culture of the people of Canaan were in rebellion with God's plans for humanity. I think that's something we relate to. The culture that, that we live in, the culture around us, doesn't quite agree with the values that we see in Jesus and in the Bible. For example, for Abraham, from the beginning of time, God had made it clear from the time of Adam and Eve, God had made it explicitly clear that marriage was between one man and one woman. In the first marriage between Adam and Eve, God made it very clear that monogamy, or one husband and one wife, was God's design for human beings. Abraham knew this. But Abraham was living in a culture that had rejected God's design for marriage. The people of Canaan had rejected God's design. In their culture, it was a man could have many wives, a man could have many wives and many mistresses or, or concubines. So Sarah's idea in this passage of getting Abraham to sleep with Hagar came from the Canaanite culture. It came from a culture that had rejected God's design. Verse 3 in the chapter that we read tells us that Abraham had lived 10 years in Canaan when he gave in to the sin of polygamy. And in these 10 years, Abraham was sadly shaped and influenced by the culture around him. It's quite obvious from what, what transpired in this, in this chapter that he had let go, sadly, of some of godly values and he had begun to embrace the values of the culture around him. And this was Abraham's first failure. He listened to the world's culture and he ignored the word of God. The challenges we face living in our culture are not very dissimilar to the challenges that Abraham faced. Our culture may not encourage polygamy, but our culture does rebel against God's plan for marriage in many different ways. Our culture tells us that it's okay to date someone who's not a follower of Christ. Our culture tells us that faith is not the most important thing, but romance and marriage are the most important things. Our culture tells us that it's alright to sleep with someone before marriage. Our culture is also constantly urging us to sacrifice or at the very least neglect our marriages so we can get ahead in our careers. 
And so our culture is tempting us to reject God's plan for human life as much as Abraham was being tempted by the culture that he lived in. But you see, that was not Abraham's only failure. Abraham also failed at another deeper level. Let me show you this. Look at verse 2 in the passage that we read. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. It was Sarah who first begins talking about polygamy as a way to get the child that they both desperately desired. In the end, we see both Sarah and Abraham both bought into the sinful culture of the Canaanites. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah and he rejected the word of God and what God had prescribed for marriage. This is a very significant verse. It's easy to miss the connection that this verse is inviting us to see. There is another place in the Bible where another husband listened to the voice of his wife instead of listening to the voice of God. Do you remember Adam and Eve in in Genesis? Genesis chapter 3 verse 17. And Adam, and to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. We know what happened after that. Listened to the voice of your wife over the word of God. It's, it's the exact phrase that is used in both the places. And this connection in the Bible between Abraham and Sarah, and sorry, Abraham and Sarah and Adam and Eve is a very intentional one. But hang on. Before I kind of explore this connection a little more, I must hasten to clarify something here. You guessed it. The Bible is not suggesting, nor is it generalizing, that wives give bad advice. That's not the point. Let's be very clear about it. Not at all. The Bible is not telling husbands to not listen to your wives. So husbands, please, this is not a license to reject good godly counsel from your wives. If you actually look at the Bible, there are an equal number of examples where the wisdom of wives has even saved the life of husbands. Uh, let me give you one example. If you read Exodus chapter 4, there was a time when God was so angry with Moses that he was about to kill Moses. Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 to 26. It will come up for us on screen. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, who was Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of circumcision. If this is your first time uh, in a church, uh, please be at ease. We no longer follow uh, circumcision. Uh, Later in the sermon, I'm really going to explain 
what circumcision is and why God called his people the Old Testament to follow circumcision. We're going to come to that in just a little bit. But for now, I do want to invite us to see that Zephora, Moses' wife, saved his life by her wise and quick action. So please don't hear me wrong. We are not saying that telling husbands not to listen to the advice of your wives. Let, let me actually make this even more clear. Do you know who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. It is Moses who wrote the book of Genesis. So do you think Moses, whose life was saved by the wisdom of his wife, is going to say, don't follow the advice of your wife? Not at all. Right? Let's be very clear. That's the clarification. The Bible is not definitely, is definitely not generalizing and saying wives give bad advice. Not at all. So in this context, when it says both Adam and Abraham listened to the voice of their wife, listening to the voice of the wife is not the real problem. So what is the real problem? What is really happening here? There are two things at play here. And I'm, I'm going to try and tease both of those things out separately. The first part of the problem, the first part of the real problem, the real sin, is that both of these couples, Abraham and Sarah, Adam and Eve, had loved a blessing of God more than they loved God himself. In her temptation, Eve was captivated and loved the fruit that God had forbidden them to eat. She loved that fruit more than she loved God. And similarly, Sarah desired a child more than she desired God in that season. And which is why she asked Abraham to break God's law on marriage so that she could have a child. You know, this tells us something quite profound about our own sinfulness in the context of our culture. You know, on the face of it, it might seem that it was the culture around him that caused Abraham to sin. Not at all. In reality, it is not the culture around us that causes us to sin. Sin is already deep inside every one of us. The culture around us is not the primary cause of our sinfulness. Our culture only gives us permission and at best encourages us to live out the sinful desires that are already inside of us. Our culture merely only validates the sinful desires that are originally formed in our own hearts. Sin does not originate in culture. Sin originates in our hearts. A culture might at best validate and give us a license to indulge in our sinful desires. So sin is primarily an internal cancer. It is not an external infection. So we, should, we need to stop blaming, blaming the culture around us. Sin is primarily an internal cancer. It is not an external infection. 
You see, Abraham and Sarah's deepest sin was not that they gave in to polygamy because of the culture around them. That was not their deepest sin. They actually followed their culture only because their culture gave them permission to indulge in the sinful desire that already existed. The deeper sin was not polygamy. The deeper sin, the sin beneath the sin, the sin beneath the sin of polygamy was a desire for something, for a blessing of God more than, the, than God himself. And that is a child. They loved a child more than they loved God. The core of their sin was not polygamy. At the core, at the very core of their sin was wanting to accomplish something in their own flesh, a blessing that only God could give. The deepest sin of Abraham was wanting to accomplish in his own strength, wanting to receive a blessing in his own strength, a blessing that only God can give. And this is where Abraham's sin and Abraham's life becomes so relevant to us. Every one of us, every one of us, without exception, we are all guilty of this deeper sin of trying to earn with our own efforts the blessing that only God can give. Let me bring this home to our hearts. Take, take a careers. Take a careers. Why do we overwork? Ever thought about it? Why do we overwork? Why do we become so anxious about our careers? Why do we work? Why are we driven to work to the point of stress and exhaustion? Why do we work so much that we are concerned and we are worrying about our work even on Sunday mornings at worship? Why do we keep working till the point that our, our spouses and our, and our children sometimes feel unloved by us? You see, every one of these behavioral Every one of these behaviors is a sign that we are trying to accomplish by ourselves in our careers the blessing that only God can give us in our careers. It's not just you who struggle. Those of us in ministry, we struggle too. Why do, why do I overwork in ministry? Like all of you, I too am trying to accomplish by my own striving in ministry the blessing that only God can give us. You do this because you love your careers more than God. I do this because I love my ministry more than Christ. Again, don't, don't hear me wrong here. I'm not saying don't work. Work is a beautiful gift from God. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying don't work, but I am saying do not overwork. Do not try to accomplish by our own strength what only the blessing that only God can give us. And Abraham and, and, and Sarah, and we can relate to that. It's understandable. Uh, their pain, we don't want to gloss over the pain of their hearts. We do know what it feels like. We do know 
we, we do want to empathize with them. We do want to take a minute to feel their pain, to feel their sorrow. Maybe they even went through moments of, why has God rejected me? Or has God abandoned me? All of that is real. We don't want to kind of gloss over any of that. But their actions in breaking God's law, in going against God's design, tells us that they had come to a place where they had loved this idea of a child more than they loved God. That was the sin. That is the problem Abraham and Sarah struggle with. And that is the problem every one of us struggle with. But do you know how God's grace healed Abraham of his sinfulness? You'll be surprised at the answer. And that brings us to the second thing that I wanted to draw out for us from this passage. God's faithfulness. How did God heal Abraham of his sinfulness? It's a surprising answer. We are looking at Genesis chapter 16 in the sermon series, but we're going to look at 17 as well, and something really interesting happens in Genesis chapter 17. In sleeping with Hagar, Abraham, as we've been seeing, attempted to grab God's blessing of a son through unlawful and fleshly striving. We saw this unfold in Genesis chapter 16. But in Genesis chapter 17, as that chapter unfolds, God meets with Abraham. Last week we saw the three people sin, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. And we saw that last week God met with each of these three sinners individually to transform them. We saw how God met with Hagar last week. This week we're going to look at how God met with Abraham and transformed him. God met with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. And as God met with Abraham, God once again promises Abraham a son with Sarah. And in continuation of that promise, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And in that covenant, God tells Abraham, your part of the covenant is to be circumcised. You and all your male children will have to be circumcised. That was Abraham's part of the covenant, God's part of the covenant was that he would bless Abraham so much that one day Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, would descend from the line of Abraham and hundreds and thousands and millions of people will come to believe in Jesus and through Jesus, Abraham would become the father of many nations. That was God's part of the covenant. Genesis chapter 17 verse 11. It'll come up for us. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. In God's covenant with Abraham, circumcision is the grace God gives Abraham to heal his sin of fleshly striving. Circumcision is God's grace to Abraham to heal him of his sinful and fleshly striving. How on earth is circumcision 
God's grace. How is that even possible? It's, it's right here in these two chapters. The last verse of Genesis chapter 16 tells us that Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born to him through Hagar. The last verse of Genesis chapter 16. The very first verse of Genesis chapter 17 tells us that Abraham was 99 years old when he was given the grace of circumcision. If circumcision was indeed God's grace to bring healing to Abraham's sinfulness, why did God wait 13 years? 13 years between Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 17. Why did God wait 13 years before introducing circumcision? And that answer tells us why circumcision is a grace of God. And it's a simple answer. You see, at 86 years of age, Abraham was still able to make Hagar pregnant and have Ishmael. His flesh was still working. But at 99, at the beginning of the chapters of chapter 17, after waiting for 13 years, Abraham knew he could no longer father a son. At 99 years of age, Abraham knew he no longer had it in him to have a son. And he says so himself. Look at Genesis chapter 17, verses 17 to 18. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, this is when God promises him that you will have a son through Sarah. He uh, he fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Think about it. God is promising Abraham, you will have a son through Sarah, and that son will be your heir, and that son will be a blessing to the world. But Abraham said, No, no, no. I'm happy with Ishmael. Didn't Abraham want a son with Sarah? Of course he did. That's what this entire chapter is all about. Abraham saying, please bless Ishmael because he had lost all hope of him fathering a son. Abraham was pleading for Ishmael because he knew that at 99, he no longer had it in him to father a son. Abraham finally came to a place where he knew he could never accomplish anything more with a sinful, fleshly striving. And it was only when Abraham had come to this place of utter unreliance on self, only when Abraham had come to this place of absolute dependence on God, that God blesses him with Isaac. You see, Abraham was circumcised at 99 when his flesh was completely dead. But Isaac was born immediately thereafter when Abraham was 100 years old. So for Abraham, circumcision is a sign of the death of the old self and the birth of a new life of utter dependence on God. You see, for Abraham, circumcision was not a sign of punishment for sin, but it was a sign of new life 
by grace. For Abraham, circumcision signified the death of the old fleshly striving by self, and circumcision denoted a new life lived by the grace of God. You know, when you think of the covenants of the Bible, the covenants God makes with men, there are many beautiful things. The rainbow was a beautiful covenant of God's, a beautiful sign of God's covenant with Noah. Solomon's great temple was a great sign of the covenant that God made with David and, and, and Solomon. The Lord's Supper, which we are going to participate in in a few minutes, is a beautiful sign of God's covenant with New Testament believers. But what purpose does circumcision serve as a covenant? It's hardly one of those beautiful things that you see when God makes a covenant with men. What purpose did circumcision serve? For centuries, when every male child was circumcised on the eighth day from the time of Abraham, for centuries, circumcision was a reminder to all of Israel that we must not appropriate God's blessing by our fleshly striving. Circumcision was a reminder from generation to generation to generation to generation that God's blessing comes only through total surrender, patient waiting, zero reliance on self, and absolute faith in God. And this is where Abraham's life really connects with every one of our lives. I hope you realize this. But 99% of all of our lives is fleshly striving apart from a dependence on God. Most of our careers is, is striving in our own strength to earn the blessings that only God can bring. Not just our careers. Most of our romantic life, most of our marriages, most of our godly dating is striving in our own strength to experience the joy as husband and wife that only God can bring. Most of our parenting is striving in our own flesh to accomplish the blessing for our children that only God can do for them. Most of our saving and investing in SIPs, all good and beautiful things, most of it is also fleshly striving to create for us the ultimate security that only God can bring. I'm not saying don't save, don't hear me wrong. All I'm saying is only God can bring ultimate security. And I have to confess that a big part of, of ministry, a big part of the ministry that I do is also fleshly striving, trying to bring to people the blessings that only God can bring. You see, we are not all that different from Abraham. 
our sin, we might not commit polygamy, but our sin is very similar to the core sin of Abraham. So how can we be healed of our fleshly striving? As Paul says, Oh, to me, what a wretched man I am. How can I be healed of my fleshly striving? It's a simple answer. You might be surprised by the answer again. If circumcision was God's grace and healing for Abraham, then circumcision is also God's healing and grace for each of us. But in Christ we have a very different kind of circumcision. In Christ, we have a circumcision not of the flesh, but we have a very different kind of circumcision, men and women. Listen to what the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Verse 11. In Christ, and Paul is speaking to all Gentile believers, which is believers who are not Jews, he's talking to Believers who had come to faith from non-Jewish backgrounds and they had not been circumcised, if you remember the historical context. So Paul tells in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, In Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. By the circumcision of Christ. Paul is saying, we are also circumcised, all of us, men and women, all of us, we are also circumcised by a circumcision of our hearts without human hands through the circumcision of Christ. The Bible is telling us that our hearts have been made pure by the circumcision of Christ. Luke chapter 2 tells us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, Luke chapter 12 tells us this creator of heaven and earth, earth, who was from the beginning, who was from before the beginning of time, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, God knows who knows no beginning, God who knows no end, God who fills the entire universe. Luke chapter 2 tells us that when this God was born as an infant, in the form of Jesus Christ, he was circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. We get that Abraham needs to be circumcised. Of course, he's a sinful man. Of course, he needed the lesson of circumcision to remind him. But but the Son of God being circumcised. From the time of Abraham... When a man was circumcised, he was entering into a covenant with God, promising God, just as Abraham did through this covenant of circumcision, never to live in fleshly self-striving, but to live in absolute dependence on God. That was the point of circumcision. That's what we saw a few minutes ago. But when Jesus was circumcised, he too was covenanted to never live in fleshly self-striving, but to live in absolute dependence on God. In the Jewish customs, that was the meaning of the circumcision of Christ himself. But there's a difference. From the time of Abraham, Jesus Christ was the only man to have ever fully lived up 
to this covenant. Many people were circumcised beginning with Abraham. Every Jewish male was circumcised at the end of the, at the end of the, at the, on the eighth day of his birth from the time of Abraham. Every Jewish male, none of them lived up to that covenant. From the time of Abraham, through history, until Jesus was born, until Jesus was circumcised, no one lived up to the true letter and spirit of the covenant of circumcision, which is a commitment to God to never live in fleshly striving, but to live in utter dependence on God. Only Jesus, Jesus is the only male to have been circumcised who actually lived up to the covenant of circumcision. Jesus is the only circumcised male among the Jews who lived a life of absolute dependence on God and zero self-striving in the flesh whatsoever. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who was circumcised and also lived up to the covenant. And Colossians 2 is telling us That the blessing Jesus deserved for honoring the covenant of circumcision in every way, Colossians 2 is telling us that that blessing has been given to every one of us who believe in Jesus. Our hearts have been cleansed, washed by the blood of Jesus and made pure by the circumcision of Christ. So if we received the blessing of Christ's circumcision, what did Christ receive? As a sacrifice of atonement hanging on the cross, Jesus received on his body the punishment due for our sins. The first cut of circumcision on Jesus' body as an infant was a sign, was a pointer that one day, hanging on the cross, he would be cut off from the land of the living for the sake of our salvation, as Isaiah tells us. The first drop of blood that Jesus shed as an infant in his circumcision pointed to how he would one day also shed the very last drop of his blood on the cross for your salvation and mine. Christ gladly bore on his body more than once. Christ gladly bore on his body as an infant and as an adult male the punishment for our fleshly self-striving so that we might receive the blessing due to him for his absolute dependence on God. Our hearts, as much as we might wrestle with sin, as much as we might struggle with sin, as much as Abraham, the man of faith, struggled with sin, our hearts have been made pure by the circumcision of Christ so that we who are not circumcised in the flesh might live For God's glory. Let us pray. Uh, Father, I stand uh, painfully aware, carrying the guilt of my own striving in the flesh, apart from a reliance on God.
I stand here, Lord, painfully aware of every way in which I try to accomplish through my own selfish work the blessing that only God can give me. And I stand here with brothers and sisters and all of us struggling with the same. All of us together being reminded by the Holy Spirit that our hearts have been made pure by the circumcision of Christ. In his death and in his resurrection, we receive the power to move away from self-striving in the flesh to depending on God. So Lord, as we sit under the faithful preaching of your word in the context of your gospel community, would you send your Holy Spirit to help every one of us crucify in us the self-striving of the flesh and help every one of us experience and enjoy the new life of absolute joyful dependence on God that every one of us have already been given by the death and resurrection of Christ. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.